Right, thank you for inviting me to uh, speak this afternoon. This is uh, a chapter that's focused very much on English uh, college-based higher education. Um, I'm going to give you uh, really just a very short snapshot in, uh, insight into the issues that I've been trying to address. But I should say that with a caveat, um, at the JVET conference a week ago, uh, Alison Wolfe was speaking, and obviously she's one of the people who has been involved in the AUGA report uh, in England, uh, looking at shifts to post-education, education and funding. And not only did she say things that already shift the landscape from uh, when I was preparing this presentation, I've got a little bit about AUGA in it, and from when I was writing uh, the chapter that I wrote, but also what was particularly interesting to me is that she sometimes had new data and sometimes had different data um, that suggest a different way of interpreting what's going on. And I'm not saying that she's right and I'm wrong or that I'm right and she's wrong, but the data, certainly in England, on what we know about what happens to people in terms of participation and particularly in terms of progression and what happens to them when they uh, move out into employment, so whether it's worth bothering to do college-based higher education or be interested in it or not, look very different depending on what data you use. Um, so what you'll hear from me is that actually the returns to college-based higher education don't look as good as university higher education, which raises a question for how you make decisions about what you participate in. But if you listen to Alison Wolfe, she's got data that suggests quite the opposite, <laughs> which is quite problematic. And the problematic thing is that if you're a person who's a learner considering what to do, you're going to be faced with two lots of, or many lots of different evidence. So making decisions is not easy. Uh, I don't think there is necessarily a right or wrong set of evidence. The evidence keeps shifting, the interpretations keep shifting. So that's my brief caveat so that you're aware uh, that what I say is based on evidence that I have looked at, um, but uh, there is other evidence that suggests that things might look slightly different. I'll just try and press the right thing so that we move on. Um, so, um, Yes, CBHE is suddenly of interest in England as well as in other countries, college-based higher education, but it keeps going in and out of being forgotten and remembered. Uh, Gareth Parry, who's sitting here today, said it's regularly rediscovered in official narratives. Well, here we are at the present time in 2017. Uh, the UK government uh, says we want our technical education system to be as prestigious as higher education in this country and for it to rival the best systems in the world. We could find regular quotes that say that through certainly the time I've been researching and before we keep refinding it as Gareth Parry uh, reminds us. Uh, but what's interesting for me at this moment is that College HE, certainly in the English context, is, is at this nexus, policy nexus of HE and VET. And AUGA, which has just come out in England, um, is actually trying to bring together higher education uh, funding and participation, looking at the whole sector, uh, looking at uh, college uh, provision and looking at university provision. But up until very recently, that's not what's been going on. We've had a whole set of policies coming out which are about the really associated with technical education and college education, and another set that cover higher education. But college higher education is implicated in both. And that is quite important because there's different things being said in different places. Um, so you've got um, policy reform program for technical education. There's been loads of activity in that area. Um, we've got new technical qualifications coming in. I, I kind of, I want to sort of slowly wilt and die. Um, I started my research career looking at English general 
um, GNVQs, General National Vocational Qualifications, which is something that's known and not beloved to people of my generation, and no one else has ever heard of it, even in England, never mind in other countries. But here we are with yet another reform to technical education. But at the same time, we've got reforms to the whole of the HE system uh, going on, uh, looking at quality, competition, choice, and diversity. And this competition and diversity is really significant, I think, for college-based higher education in England. And then changes to student funding for bachelor degrees and for other forms of HE. And that funding issue is key. And that's central to AUGA. Uh, and I'm not going to go into that in detail. But one of the issues that they're really pushing is the idea that if you make the funding uh, equal across both, both parts of the system, you might start to shift things. Um, but certainly there's an ambiguous positioning, not just in England, but elsewhere. So these are two different uh, places that the OECD talks about the system. Um, there's a really big push from the OEC that's continued over a long period of time, uh, promoting the idea that certainly for um, the, the wealthier countries uh, united in the OECD across the world, that you need high skills for competitive knowledge economies and therefore you have tertiary education that's going to really push that and something that we should all be working on uh, in, in those countries at the very least. Uh, but equally, uh, in their more recent work on skills beyond school, um, they talk about professional, technical and managerial jobs requiring no more than one or two years of preparation beyond school. Now, it's not in, an entirely a contradiction, but it certainly gives different messages about what it is you might then make decisions uh, to do and where you invest your time uh, and what that looks like. So, um, what's quite interesting, and, and I'm not going to go into lots of detail, but in um, in my view, we can see quite different ways uh, that things are moving. And one of those trends is that in US community colleges and their equivalents, um, and we've already just heard that, that view, that they're kind of pushing forward with working to provide widened participation opportunities for non-traditional students, very much seeing themselves as have a mission uh, of an open door for all. Um, and, and a very different trend, um, so instead of having distinctiveness there through widening participation, there's a, a trend towards distinctiveness through prestige, and certainly in the German-speaking countries of Switzerland, Austria, uh, and Germany, and in, the, and, and in some of the Nordic countries, we're finding new hybrid institutions that are offering um, higher level vocational qualification and degree, what we think of as bachelor level uh, qualifications, in particular hybrid institutions being called a new premium sector uh, in terms of social prestige and labour market prospects. But the beginning evidence from those examples is that they are not open door anymore. They are for people who've got high level um, qualification, entry qualifications. So they're beginning, they're beginning, if they haven't already, to squeeze out uh, th those who would have come into an open door opportunity. So we've certainly, uh, even just in those examples, got different trends in different countries, but possibly with different results. This is just a summary of uh, key developments that I think have been going on. This is just since 2016. That's quite a lot of work going on in that brief period of time. Um, now, I'm involved in doing research in the sector, and it's quite hard to actually remember that we now have institutes of technology, um, which those of us who are embedded in the sector will have heard of, but a lot of people will never even have heard of, which involve collaborative ventures. They're offering forms of higher education. That does include college-based higher education, but in involves universities as well. We actually have national colleges that are open now in these different areas, um, offering higher education. 
We have our office for students, which uh, colleges are finding, uh, never mind universities, but colleges are finding very different to have to work with, uh, an institution that has a, a different view about whether they think colleges are giving value for money in terms of their higher education provision along with reforms to level four and five technical qualifications. And if you thought that wasn't enough, we've got degree and higher level apprenticeships that aren't the same thing. Um, where you really do think, what on earth do, how on earth do I know what's, what's happening? And then we've just had the Orca review, which has come out, which is looking very specifically at post-18 education and funding. There's an awful lot going on. And if you're involved in college-based based HE, then all those things are going on. Whereas for universities, at least you haven't got quite so many of those different things going on. I just want to say a couple of things about Orga that I think are worth uh, highlighting. The government terms of reference is talking about a joined up system, um, but the real emphasis is on value for money in the terms of reference and choice and competition. Um, it's not some lovely affair where they want to have equal chances for college-based higher education. It's choice and competition, which is what was in the 2016 white paper in the UK as well. That's a real key and central tenet of the Conservative Party approach to higher education provision. And that matters because it does make a difference. So what the Orga group uh, and committee talks about is the other 50%. And they're very concerned about that notion of the 50% who are not simply the people who walk straight into university-based higher education uh, and, have been, and, and have done quite well out of the system so far in comparison to what's often being called the other 50%. And they talk about being concerned about fairness and equity. Now, it depends on where you're, uh, where you're positioned in whether you think choice and competition and fairness and equity go hand in hand. Um, my interpretation and my experience of college-based HE uh, to date would suggest that it's quite difficult to have choice and competition across a whole system and also have fairness and equity, certainly that enables college-based HE uh, to, 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 to provide that. So I think there are, there are quite strong tensions in what's going on and what's being proposed. Um, but a range of different things that kind of suggest we, things might, uh, might change in terms of college-based higher education. An integrated system, um, that's certainly been talked about for some considerable time, um, but, whether, but that's, that's part of what their recommendations are. Um, strengthening technical education, um, reforming and, uh, and, re and refunding the college network. Um, so uh, a whole set of really important uh, suggestions as far as college-based HE is concerned. What Alison Wolfe emphasised was, uh, from her point of view, that's going to really be key to this is this lifelong learning allowance and the suggestion that everyone will get a lifelong learning allowance which they spend where they wish to, so they could equally spend a similar amount of money on college-based HE as they might spend on university HE um, and, and suggest, and that could happen when you're a young person or it could happen when you're an adult, and she sees that as central to the whole proposals. Now remember, that's just recommendations. But you can see that certainly in England, that's suggesting there is an emphasis on uh, college higher education and on technical education. So what do we know already um, about what distinction and distinctiveness look like? And I'm just going to talk about that briefly uh, in terms of uh, work that uh, Kevin Orr and I have done and that appears in the chapter in the book. Um, firstly, there's major regional variation. There's 241 colleges uh, in 2017 offering HE courses, um, but actually it varies in terms of which part of the country you're in as to how much uh, is actually being provided in, in which particular uh, areas of the country in colleges. 
And certainly, um, there there is a, a pattern of college-based HE, as, is, as has been said again and again, but it's remained around 10% uh, in terms of the actual proportion of, of college HE. So it it's there, it's important, uh, it's nearly 10%, but it's not, not shifting in terms of uh, pr proportion terms, percentage terms. And there are definitely claims to college-based HE being distinctive, um, offering value for money, um, available locally, responding to the needs of employers, attracting students who might otherwise be unable to study for higher level qualifications. Um, this is um, Widdison, who, who actually runs a, a lobby group and is also um, principal of a college and has been key in thinking about these things. That also looks, in terms of uh, what a college might uh, suggest, is what's really distinctive, uh, ranges from small class sizes to free parking. Um, any of you that work in higher education institutions in England will know that free parking is definitely, definitely the thing that should be at the top, really. Um, a whole range of things that are claimed uh, for CBHE being distinct, distinctive. Uh, but certainly we can see in the data that uh, it is distinctive in terms of the type of qualifications that are offered uh, and which ones are taken up. That it does cater for local populations in comparison to university higher education um, and does provide HE for more people from uh, low participation areas, areas where fewer uh, members of the population participation participate in HE, what's being called in England HE cold spots. It does attract more older students um, and it does um, it is distinctive in terms of employment outcomes. So what does that look like? Um, I'm, uh, I'm just going to give you a brief sense that there are definitely foundation degrees going on, 37 in 2015-16, in the, the most recent uh, data that we've got here uh, was nearly just under 40% of participating in two-year foundation degrees, so sub-bachelor degree level work, but at the same time, 30%, so nearly a third are participating in bachelor degree work, so... Um, that there is a difference, certainly compared to universities, much more sub-degree level work going on. Um, and you can see that as a, as a diagram here, you can see that foundation degrees are coming up much higher in terms of what colleges are doing compared to first degrees, meaning bachelor degrees, and quite a lot of HNCs and HND work going on in England still. Um, similarly, there's we definitely know that um, a, a lot of learners are local, so College-based HE is providing to local learners coming from coming from uh, lo what are called local enterprise partnerships, which are uh, uh, local re regional partnerships dealing with enterprise and so on. So we know that um, there are there are more people from local areas attending college-based HE compared to the provision that uh, universities provide uh, for local learners. And that appears again there. Um, but there are questions asked about these local links. Um, although there's more college-based HE and it's linked to, uh, to let priorities and the priorities that those areas have, it's not really clear about whether there's a match between those priorities and the needs of the local workforce. So you might go to college-based HE thinking, oh yeah, I'm doing something, there'll be a job in my area. It doesn't necessarily follow. And of course, there is a there is a big problem with local. Um, it could be that it's seen, it's not universally attractive, it's only local people that would want to do it. That m it's, it, it may appear to trivialise college-based HE for some people. 
our data definitely show what I said before, which is that people from uh, people from low participation areas, more of those are being catered for uh, by further education colleges than higher education. So if you're coming from at least likely to participate in higher education in 2015-16, colleges were providing for 21.8% of those uh, students compared to 12% going to higher education institutions. And it works its way up so that you've definitely got more people from the low participation areas attending college HE rather than university HE. And similarly with age, um, with perhaps not unexpectedly um, because we we know that there are adult learners in college-based higher education um, there are more learners who are older um, over 21 participating in colleges um, and and so it's a, a clearly a, a, an important part of what's provision whether it, the provision whether it's full-time part-time or apprenticeships but interestingly um, worth noting that actually amongst young learners under 21s, um, full-time uh, participation in college higher education, you're finding young learners are doing full-time courses. So uh, older students are not doing the full-time courses in college HE, they're doing the part-time courses. What's interesting though, and, and, and does raise questions, is the employment outcomes of graduates. Uh, what we can see here is that um, in colleges and in higher education, Certainly there's um, an almost 75% uh, in, in, in both instances who are getting sustained employment. Uh, the, the pale blue is further study with or without sustained employment. So definitely there is um, reasonable, if you it, nearly three quarters are getting sustained and moving to sustained employment. But the pale blue is um, university. Uh, universities and the, and the darker blue is colleges and these are the earnings of graduates and just from the picture you can see just that just that just the image of, of, of the differences in the bars you can see that the returns to participating in college HE and the returns uh, to participating in in university HE are different according to this now this is where my data would differ from from Alison Wolfe's um, so you know, it's a it's a serious question to say, kind of, how do you make a decision about what's likely to be right? And of course, behind that will be the subjects that people study and so on and so forth. So th there are good questions to be asked, but just on that initial picture, uh, things don't look entirely the same. So I want to just say a couple of things um, that I think create real challenges, particularly in the English context. Um, but also in the global context, as Simon Marginson would point out, we've now got high participation systems, not just in England, but across many countries. Um, and they're stratified. And they're stratified meaning that there's a hierarchy of those that are deemed to be better than others. And the stretch uh, doesn't get less if you've got um, a competitive high participation system. It gets more. Um, and it means that um, strong in institutions will improve their status. Uh, which puts college-based HE in England in a, in a difficult position. They are not strong institutions in the higher education field. Um, and 
they've also suffered from a whole set of things, which Wolf, Alison Wolf, who then moving on to Orga, has looked at uh, in terms of trying to shift things. Um, that lots of complicated and what she called inchoate arrangements um, for, for further education, and then a university system that's looked, at least from the outside, to be very uniform for a very long time and not pushed to, pushed to change. And of course, a funding system that encourages certain uh, certain approaches and, and doing certain things, which is what certainly her influence in Augur has tried to, to, to address. So, um, yeah, can choice and competition which is one side of auger, bring fairness and equity for the other 50%, which is the other side of auger. Um, I, I think that it's quite difficult, and I think Marginson's words are quite interesting here, um, that, uh, it's, that higher education participation, particularly in universities, isn't just powered by economic growth, by, but by the ambitions of families um, who want to advance or maintain social position for their children. Um, and, and that means that social background and stratifying structures and systems kind of coalesce into a into a vicious circle really as much as anything else and 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 what he suggests is that families who can bring their advantageous capital to bear on education will continue to do so and and that raises big questions about the extent to which you can bring fairness and equity for the other 50 percent i'm not saying you can't but there are serious questions to be asked so finally um Certainly, uh, based on, on on the data that I presented here, English English college-based higher education is distinctive and it attracts different core students, it, it offers di different courses. But distinctiveness isn't the same as distinction in Bourdieu's terms, that it actually has, has a unique selling point that makes it stand up and stand up um, strongly against, uh, against other opportunities. Um, because that distinctiveness is within a stratified system and it brings therefore disadvantage, disadvantages as well as possible advantages to those who participate. But I also take heart from what um, Kevin wrote with James Avis when they were considering what colleges do. They mediate policy. They're not simply going to um, take on everything that's said there. They're going to struggle and fight with the finances and that's always going to be something that they're going to balance up so that they're not going bankrupt. But they mediate policy and they make decisions about what they want to do and they make decisions about how to construct their mission. They're not all the same. And quite often their mission continues to be a widening participation and serving the needs of the community in their area. And in many cases they may well fight to do that despite the challenges they'll continue to face. Thank you. Thank you.